Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I will be going through the biggest moments in the world of, usually it's sports, but today it's all international soccer because the Women's World Cup final was on Sunday, the Copa America final was on Sunday, and the Africa Cup of Nations had some wild upsets in the round of 16. So I will go through all three of those tournaments in my show today. And I'm going to start with the Women's World Cup, just because I I feel like, because that's the global tournament that involves countries from around the world. So the Women's World Cup final took place between the United States and the Netherlands. I wasn't able to talk about the semifinal between the Dutch and the Swedes on my last show. And basically, it was pretty even, in my opinion. Very evenly contested. Jackie Gronin scored in extra time to get the Dutch the winning goal and send them into the final against the U.S. The final itself, the United States won this game 2-0 to to win their fourth Women's World Cup and back-to-back titles for the first time in their history. Megan Rapinoe scored a penalty after... Alex Morgan was basically kicked in the shoulder. It was... I'm really not... I'm not quite sure what was going on there in the defending from Van der Graat of the Netherlands, but Morgan got kicked in the shoulder, video assistant referee was used, and I think the correct call was made. Rapino stepped up and scored her tournament, or at least tied for tournament lead, her sixth goal of the competition. And then Rose Lavelle scored a very nice goal. She did a little bit of a solo run from about 35 yards-ish to the penalty area and shot it perfectly into the low corner to give the United States the 2-0 lead that they would eventually win the game by. The goal, the second goal, I felt like, again, you know, Dutch defending could have been better on it, but I'm going to give a lot of credit to Lavelle, who saw the space and was able to exploit it and... Ultimately, that's what a good attacking midfielder does, is you can see the gaps in the defense in the midfield, and you can go forward and score just like she did. So, congratulations to the United States for winning. I thought they 100% deserved to win this game. They were clearly, I think, the superior team on the front foot. I think the Netherlands just really, there wasn't enough chance creation, I don't think, for them. They weren't dangerous enough going forward for my liking in this match. And I thought the United States did really well to basically control the game. And then they had some really good chances. But you know what? Dutch goalkeeper Van Wienenal, I mean, she was just spectacular in this game. She made some unbelievable saves in the Dutch goal to help keep it as close as it was. And yeah, so the United States won, beating the Netherlands... Back-to-back titles, their fourth overall. Sadly for the Dutch, it continues to be a unfortunate theme for them where the Netherlands are probably the best footballing country to have never won a World Cup, either men's or women's. The women's team has now made a World Cup final that they lost. The men's team has made three World Cup finals that they've all lost. So maybe one day it'll come together for the Netherlands. It might even be 2023 because you know what? This Dutch team is really young. Like, they're mostly still going to be in their prime for 2023, for the next World Cup. And even 
looking ahead to the Olympics in Tokyo next year. I think this Dutch team has a really good chance to win the gold medal in Tokyo. I also think that this team could de- will definitely be one of the favorites going into 2023, assuming, of course, that you know they keep the team together and stuff like that, which I would imagine they probably would. For the United States, though, I think... You know what? They went through every single challenge that they got in this tournament. They had to beat Sweden in the group to finish first. They did that. They had to face powerhouse France in the quarters. They did that and won. They had to face England in the semis. Did that and won. They had to face the European champions in the final. And they did that and won too. So, full credit to the United States. They are the best team in the world. And they proved that again this time around. So... Nothing but, I think, credit given where credit is due. As far as the tournament awards, Van Vietenal, the Dutch goalkeeper, she got the Golden Glove Award. No problem with that. I thought, certainly, if she wasn't the best goalkeeper, she was definitely in the top three. And I have no problem with her winning the Golden Glove for best goalie in the tournament. Megan Rapino won the Golden Ball and the Golden Boot Award, which is the Golden Boots for highest scorer, Golden Ball is for best player. Again, I really don't have any problem with that. I thought Rapino was very deserving. Her performances in the knockout stages were exceptional for the United States. Despite missing the semifinal against England, she was great in every other game for the U.S. team. And, yeah, she really <laughs> she really just stepped up. That That's basically all it is. She's the captain of the team, and as a leader, as a player... She was there when her country needed her. And that's all you can ask, really, out of a player like that. My overall thoughts on the Women's World Cup, now that the tournament is over, I really like this tournament. And I thought that this World Cup was great. And overall, I can only think of it as being a positive for women's football going forward. I mean, sure, you know, there was some bumps in the road as there always is in these type of tournaments and VAR had a lot of talking points but again I really want to stress that with the video assistant referee it's not always the fault of the official looking at the monitors there are a couple times where it is but for the most part the problems that VAR had or at least quote-unquote they had it really has to do with the rule book And I think this Women's World Cup, not only is it great for women's football, but I think it's great because FIFA get to see how bad their rule book is. And I think FIFA really need to look at the laws of the game and make some serious amendments, some serious adjustments to the way certain rules are worded and the way certain rules are enforced. Because I think there's just too many subjective calls that lead to controversy. And having the technology is great because you reduce mistakes. But at the same time, you're not getting rid of mistakes. And with the way the rules are worded, sometimes you end up with calls that feel harsh. So I think there is certainly a lot for FIFA to learn and a lot for the sport to learn from this World Cup. As far as the outcomes from this World Cup, I certainly hope it leads to the continued growth of women's football, which in its own right has been really nice to see and I think can only improve from this World Cup and especially with the Olympics next year another marquee 
showpiece event for women's football where it's a best-on-best tournament and the best teams in the world can go at it toe-to-toe. FIFA actually, in their, I guess, their closing press conference for the World Cup, they had Gianni Infantino was talking about five different proposals that FIFA have for the women's for women's football going forward. And four out of the five I really like. So the first four, one is to bring in the Women's Club World Cup, that like to basically start that essentially, which I think would be great. And FIFA talked about bringing that in as soon as possible. I know the Men's Club World Cup doesn't really mean a whole lot of anything, but on the women's side, I mean, it's another chance for them to, you know, show themselves and especially at club level, I feel like internationally women's football is in a pretty good place right now. I mean, obviously still long way to go. No doubt about that. I'm not trying to say it's, you know, you know, stay where you are, but long way to go, but I think it's in a pretty good place. But at club level, I think that's where really they still need a lot of that growth because like when you compare, and I know there was a lot of talk about wage difference between the what the men make and what the women make. And it's actually interesting because I was reading a Forbes article about this and the men actually make a f- less percentage of the money that they generate from their World Cup than the women do. The women actually make a higher percentage of the revenue that they make for the World Cup. The problem is just that when you look at the actual numbers, obviously, you know, it's not as hurtful on the men's side because the truth is the men don't really make most of their money internationally. They make their money at club level. Like Kylian Mbappe, who won who won the World Cup with France last year, he donated his entire World Cup salary to charity because he didn't need it. He was like, I get paid at club level like handsomely. I don't need this money, so I'm just going to donate it. Like I want to play for my country because I love playing for my country. On the women's side, it's not quite that simple because internationally is where they usually get paid more than at club level where there's maybe no not always as much interest at that side. So I certainly hope that, you know, the Club World Cup and then their second proposal that FIFA has is this Women's Super League thing, which again, I'm not entirely, they were very vague on details about that, but I'm certainly open-minded and it sounds like something, you know, progressive and positive to continue the growth of women's football, which I think is only a net positive because I, I would love to get to a point where with women's football, that all of the players competing at the highest level are professionals and none of them are deemed semi-professional or amateur or anything like that. I would love to see all of them be professionals. And I mean, I'm not suggesting that they should be paid, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, just like, you know, the men's football game is just because obviously the women's game doesn't generate as much revenue. But I would love to see women's football be at a place where these women who are at the top of their game and playing the sport that they love, I would love to see them be able to play and not worry about their own finances and not worry about, you know, the pay difference and stuff like that. So I certainly hope that that will be something going forward. Third proposal from FIFA, doubling the prize money for the World Cup winner, which I think is great. Nothing wrong with that for sure. 
And the fourth one is doubling the investment of women's football from about $500 million to $1 billion over the next four years, which would be, again, great to see just because, again, I want to see – I like seeing the expansion and the growth of the game because it's just – I really do believe football is the world's game and the world's sport. And it's nice to see all the inclusion and stuff like that. Although, the one thing I will say, even though I realize that, you know, you can't really pay the men and the women the same because of revenue they generate at the World Cup stage as far as prize money, at certain, there are certain countries that I think should be doing a lot more to pay equally. And I'm looking directly at the United States who have actually a lawsuit right now in trying to get more money than the men. And that one makes sense because if you actually look at the numbers that the women's team generate, like jersey sales, viewership, and you know all that type of stuff, the women actually, in a lot of cases, make more money than the men. I mean, the, the numbers are pretty comparable. Like They're not that far apart. They're pretty similar as far as what the U.S. men make in revenue for the United States Soccer Federation versus what the United States women make for the United States Soccer Federation. But the women are paid so much less than the men, despite the fact that in, in this case of the United States, the women's team brings in very comparable numbers as far as revenue. So I certainly hope... I wish them all the best in that lawsuit. I hope they win that because... I think it's ridiculous that the United States Soccer Federation is paying the men more for less success and for, you know, basically similar or sometimes lower numbers as far as revenue generated. So anyway, that's kind of my little rant about that. But it is good to see that FIFA will be doubling the prize money for the World Cup winner and stuff like that in 2023 and stuff like that just going forward because... It is nice to see that number increase just in general because going back to that Forbes article I was talking about, even though the women do get paid slightly better percentages than the men as far as from the revenue they generate, it's still really small. Like the women make about 12% of the World Cup revenue. Like that goes to the players anyway. The men make about 9% of the revenue from the World Cup goes to the players, which I think is really low. And it basically just shows how greedy FIFA are. So I would like to see those numbers just go way up because the players are the entertainment. Without the players, you don't have the game. And without the game, then you don't make money. So FIFA should stop being so greedy and just massively increase the percentages, both men's and women's, because more money should be going to the players. Plain and simple. Anyway, the last proposal, the last thing I wanted to talk about The last proposal that FIFA had for the future of women's football is expanding the World Cup from 24 to 32 teams by 2023. I don't love this one. This is the one proposal that's like, okay, maybe not the best idea. Not because it's not something that shouldn't be strived for. I think it really should. But the World Cup is a showpiece event where you get the best teams in the world and the best players in the world. And... In this World Cup, when the United States beat Thailand 13 to nothing, I mean, I don't want to see 13 nothing at a World Cup because when a team wins 13 to nothing, that shows that one team just isn't even close 
to the other team as far as their skill and their talent and you know they really just shouldn't be on the same field together because it's such a disparity and at a world cup which is supposed to be a showpiece event i don't want to see 13 nothing and i fear that if the women's world cup expands to 32 teams by 2023 i mean what are the up what are the new teams going to look like and are they going to be even close to holding back the united states like don't get me wrong there are blowouts that happen at the world cup level they happen all the time but usually they're really unexpected ones and they're kind of you know once in a blue moon type of blowouts because i'll take germany versus brazil for example that was of course super famous blowout that happened in the 2014 world cup and that game was seven to one but if you actually look at the games that Germany and Brazil have played prior to that and after that, they weren't close to 7-1. It's just, it happened to be that way one day. The United States have beaten Thailand in friendlies and in other competitions by similar results before the World Cup happened. So then the 13 nothing wasn't really that unexpected. It's just, I don't like seeing those type of scorelines. Not at a World Cup anyway. So... I commend the fact that FIFA is trying to be progressive about this and being more inclusive and getting more countries into the Women's World Cup, which is great. I just think maybe let's wait for the quality of depth in women's football, especially in continents like South, South America, like Africa, like Asia. Like We'll wait for the quality of depth in those countries to maybe go up a bit. And then, you know, maybe by 2027, which would be two World Cups from now, maybe that would be a good time, I think, to introduce the expansion to 32. I just think 2023 might be a little too soon. But it's good that they have that goal in mind. But let's maybe wait for the quality and the depth to increase before we go into 32. Because 13 nothing games aren't fun for anybody. So... Anyway, that's just my opinion. That's just what I think about it. Overall, my last couple thoughts about the Women's World Cup. The best story, I thought Italy were my surprise team just because they made all the way to the quarterfinals. I did not think they would go that far. Italy won their group as well. Like, I think there was a lot to like if you were watching the Italian team in this tournament. The best individual game, I still think France-United States, and that's just because... The atmosphere of that game could rival any game on any level, men's or women's, plain and simple. Like, that was spectacular. And so I think France-United States, for me, still the best game of the Women's World Cup. Overall, congratulations to the United States. And I had a whole lot of fun talking about the Women's World Cup. It was too bad that Canada got eliminated so early. But you know what? They'll be back for Tokyo for the Olympics next year, which on the women's side is a best-on-best tournament. So there will be a chance for Canada to maybe maybe do one better than the bronze medal that they... The bronze medals, I should say, that they've gotten the last two Olympics. Coming up in my second segment, Copa America final. Sadly, did not involve one of my countries, but I'll still talk about it. Brazil took on Peru in that game at the Maracana in Rio de Janeiro. My first song of the day for my first music break is Journey with Don't Stop Believing. 
Listen to CMRU.ca. By students for you.
www.cmru.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. That first segment took a while, but you know what? The Women's World Cup is such a big event that I felt it was only right to give it its due time. And speaking of another big event that I think deserves its own time, the Copa America came to a conclusion as well on the weekend. It was kind of a cool day that they had the Gold Cup final, the Copa America final, and the Women's World Cup final on the same day. Just makes it really exciting. I know there were some... Some of the American women players were upset that those finals were on the same day. I don't know. I didn't mind it just because the time zone was different. Like, obviously, if there was a time conflict, yeah, I would be pretty upset too. But I feel like the, the time conflict was not there. The tournaments were different time zones. I don't know. I, I liked having all three on the same day just because it makes one giant day of watching international soccer, essentially. Anyway, Copa America final. Brazil took on Peru because in the semifinal that I did not get to talk about, Peru won 3-0 against Chile. And there's a lot of words I want to say about that game that aren't appropriate for being on air. But... Flores scored the opening goal in that game, thanks to some poor Chilean defending. And then goalkeeper Arias decided to run out of his net for no reason at all. And I'm still, to this day, continue to... I can't wrap my head around why he would ever, in his life, think that was a good idea. But nonetheless, he ran out of his net for absolutely no reason. And Peru ended up scoring in an empty net. Because... I mean, that's what happens when a goalkeeper just decides to leave his own net for no reason, is that the net happens to be wide open and empty, and Peru got the second goal out of that. They got a third goal late to seal it, and yeah, that's okay. That's pretty much all I have to say about that, just because if I talk any more about that game, I'll get really upset. So, Peru took on Brazil. In the Copa America final, Brazil won this game 3-1 to win their first Copa America title since 2007 as they finally get one on home soil, which certainly has to feel good for Brazilian fans who've waited a while for that one specifically. Gabriel Jesus started the proceedings by setting up the opening goal. He crossed it in for Everton, who shot it into the net. And this was after a little bit of a nervy start from Brazil. I thought the first 10 minutes, Brazil looked really nervous in this game, and Peru looked like the better team. But Gabriel Jesus stepped up and got the goal, and Brazil calmed down, and then they played a lot better after that. Unfortunately, though, they got... It was a little unlucky, I'll admit. Thiago Silva was called for a handball in the box. I'll call it unlucky, but was the right call. It wasn't incorrect. So, Paulo Guerrero stepped up for Peru and scored the penalty to tie the game. And this was, I think, one of the big turning points in the match. But it was 1-1 in the 44th minute after Guerrero scored the penalty kick. And at that point, if you're Peru, you just want to get into halftime, tied at one. But a couple slips on the field, and Gabriel Jesus scored to put Brazil ahead 2-1. to And... That would end up being the game-winning goal. But Peru actually did have a chance late in this game just because Gabriel Jesus, who scored and assisted in the first half, he ended up getting his second yellow card in the second half. 
as to whether I know a lot of people were upset online and they were like, oh, that was a terrible call. And, you know, how do you give him a yellow for that? And I'm not quite in that same boat. I'm kind of of the opinion that it's a tough call just because it's either a soft yellow card, which was what the referee gave and happened to be a second yellow and sent him off. It's either a soft yellow or a harsh, like, regular foul. It's kind of one of those, like, really gray area ones where it's like, you know, it's not a, like, nothing foul, but is it, you know, worthy of being a yellow? You know, it's a little on the soft side as far as the yellow card's concerned. But you know what? When you're leaping in the air like that, like Jesus was, I mean, you're taking a risk, right? You're on a yellow card. So took the risk, the referee sent him off, and that opened the door. 20 minutes to go, Peru were up a player, down a goal, and in about 20 minutes, despite being up a player, 11 v 10, they had one scoring chance. One scoring chance in 20 minutes when you're playing with an extra player. Like, I mean... If Peru was going to win this game, it was there for it was right there for them. This game was right there for Peru to win. And they kind of wasted it because they didn't attack. They sat like the 20 minutes that Peru was up a player. They sat back like they were scared Brazil was going to get a third goal. And they did get a third goal because Peru didn't attack. And then in the 89th minute, Zambrano gave away a really dumb penalty because he body checked Everton in the box and, you know, no attempt at the ball at all. And Richarlison stepped up and sealed the deal in the 90th minute. But, I mean, you got to attack. I just don't... I fail to understand when you're up a player, down a goal, with 20 minutes left, how you're not just sending everyone forward. Because, and maybe I'm wrong about this, although I really don't think I am. But you can't be afraid of giving up a third goal when you need to score a second goal in order to stay alive. Like, if you're losing, you can't be afraid of conceding a goal. Because if you are afraid of conceding, you'll never score that goal you need. Because you'll never attack enough. So, I think Peru had a good opportunity. Didn't take it. But, credit to Brazil. You know what? They were the better team in this game overall. They were the best team in the tournament. Plain and simple. Brazil, worthy Copa America champions. Although, I mean, certainly not the best Brazilian team ever, but they were the best team in this tournament. So, worthy champions, without a doubt. The tournament awards were interesting. Allison won the Golden Glove that I think, you know, everybody could have predicted. That wasn't (laughs) hard to see coming. But Danny Alves won the best player of the tournament award. I'm not too, too sure about that. Like, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on that one. Not not saying Danny Alves played badly, not by any means. He played really well in this tournament, but I just feel like there were a lot of other players that maybe deserved a shout before Danny Alves. But that's just my opinion. I, I mean, there's nothing really, like... This isn't, like, an extraordinarily, like, bad decision, in my opinion. It's just, you know... I would have probably gone with someone else, but nonetheless, Danny Alves won the best player of the tournament award. And speaking of Danny Alves, he actually set a record with this Copa America win. He became the first player ever in history to win 40 and 
count them, 40 trophies in his career. I mean, what can I say other than, like, wow, unbelievable. 40 trophies in his career between club and country. Doesn't get much better than that. If you're talking about some of the best winners in the sport, can't really look past any Elvis. So, anyway, my overall thoughts on the Copa America. This tournament sadly didn't wasn't as good as 2015. And I'm not just saying that because Chile won that one. I'm not just saying that for that reason. Like I I have actual reasons for this. So, there were less goals scored at this Copa America compared to the last one. So I I think less goals and less excitement definitely will lead to a tournament not being quite as good. But I think the biggest thing is the atmosphere. This is the biggest reason why 2015 was better. The atmosphere sucked at this Copa America. And I'm not afraid to say that because Brazil did not organize this well at all. The ticket prices, like if you read some of the stories, they were absurdly high at this tournament and as a result like you'd see games and it's just it's in a country like Brazil that loves the sport as much as they do to see the stadiums filled the way they were was just really sad so if you imagine a stadium like a really big one like you know Brazil has a whole bunch but the ticket prices in the lower bowl were so high that basically nobody bought them and so you get the upper bowl of a stadium, so the top part of a stadium would be full, or at least like, you know, 90, 95% full. It would look pretty full anyway. And then the bottom like part of the stadium, like the lower bowl, you'd get like a hundred people in there. Like, there's a problem. There is a problem when you have the upper part of the stadium full and the lower part of the stadium has like a hundred people because the ticket prices are too high. Like they're just wasting they're missing out on their own money they could make. So I, I was really upset with how the Copa America was handled because the atmosphere just wasn't there for most of the games. And even the even the Copa America final, I actually I I did a little bit of research into this. There was thousands of tickets that were given away for free because they wanted to fill out the stadium. That's how sad it was. In a country like Brazil, they couldn't fill their own stadium for a Copa America final because ticket prices were absurdly high because the South American Football Confederation were basically just way too... They were way too, I guess, greedy. Greedy is a good word. The Brazilian Football Association, very greedy as well. So, anyway... That certainly didn't help. I, I I like the tournament still just because it's a Copa America tournament. I mean, it's still really good football. But South America's going through a bit of a transition period right now in their teams. So the quality just maybe wasn't as quite as there quite as good as it was in previous tournaments. But nonetheless, I still think it was enjoyable. And hopefully and I know they have another Copa America in twenty twenty, but that's I have issues with that one. And it's mostly just because I feel like it's just a cash grab tournament. And I get that Argentina and Colombia are hosting, so they'll probably bring their best teams. But I have a feeling that a lot of these South American sides that aren't hosting, that aren't Colombia or aren't Argentina, they'll bring youth teams and they won't bring their best players to this next one next year. But 
hopefully by the time the next world, like the next proper Copa America, the one in Ecuador in 2024, hopefully that one will be much better for atmosphere, for crowd, for excitement, and for goal scoring, especially. Anyway, that's all I got on the Copa America tournament. Again, another one that I love watching and being able to recap. Coming up in my next segment, Africa Cup of Nations, round of 16. I will recap all of those games because we had some big favorites go down in this round. So I'll let you know all about that coming up. For right now, just the one song in my music break, Imagine Dragons and Whatever It Takes. CMRU Radio, radio showcasing Matt Royal's own broadcasting talent. Over 40 unique and weekly shows. Find us at cmru.ca. Bye, students, for you. Too fast to prepare for this Tripping in the world could be dangerous Everybody circling his vultures Negative, nepotist Everybody waiting for the fall of man Everybody praying for the end of times Everybody hoping they could be the one I was born to run, I was born for this Rip, whip, run me like a racehorse Pull me like a ripcord Break me down and build me up I wanna be the slip, slip Word upon your lip, lip Rather that you rip, rip Break me down and build me up Whatever it
Make sure you tune in to CMRU.ca to listen to what the Mount Royal students are playing. We have everything from jazz to K-pop, so check it out on CMRU.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. I have two segments left in my show. The first one being the Africa Cup of Nations recap, and the second one is my own personal segment where I'm going to be giving thanks to the Chilean golden generation, and I'll get to that. But I have the Africa Cup of Nations to talk about first, so this tournament is now into the quarterfinal stage. That The quarterfinal games are today, tomorrow, and Friday. And then the semifinals on the weekend with the final set to take place on Friday. So, the round of 16. The first game was Benin and Morocco. And one of the favorites went down. Morocco was one of the teams that qualified for the 2018 World Cup in Russia. They lost this game in penalty kicks. Benin won 4-1 on penalties. It was 1-1 in the game. And basically... In this game, Ziyech, the one of the Moroccan players, he got a penalty in the last minute of the game with a chance to win it and send his country through. He hit the goalpost. And then his team would go on to lose the shootout. So it kind of sucks, but, I mean, Morocco just have to be kicking themselves. They must have felt like they should have they done more to progress in this game. But you know what? Credit where credit is due to Benin. For winning in the shootout, they took some great penalties. And you know what? Sometimes you get a little bit of luck. And they got a little bit of luck with Ziyech hitting the goalpost. So they're through to the last eight. Their opponent would be the winner of the Senegal-Uganda match. Senegal won this game 1-0. Sadio Mane scored the only goal of the game. He also had a penalty shot that didn't go in. He, he missed the penalty later in the game. But thankfully, thanks to the goal he scored earlier... It didn't really matter. So Senegal, one of the favorites, they go through and Morocco out. So Senegal, certainly the favorite to pull off the win and get to the semis against Benin. As far as the next game, Nigeria-Cameroon. I think this was the match of the round of 16 stage because it was 3-2 and just a back-and-forth game. Nigeria took the lead. Cameroon were able to score twice. And then Igalo scored his second of the game for Nigeria before Alex Iwobi of Arsenal got the winner. And the defending champions, Cameroon, exit at the round of 16 stage. Very good game. Two very good teams. Just entertaining football. That's pretty much the summary of Nigeria versus Cameroon. The next game... The next massive upset. One of the favorites and the hosts, Egypt, go down to South Africa. And yeah, South Africa just absolutely stunning Egypt in this game. Thimbinkosi Lorch. And I really hope I didn't butcher that name. I apologize if I did. Lorch scored the 85th minute game-winning goal for South Africa. And Egypt clearly were very upset about this because they cleaned house. So, And this story came out a couple days ago, but they fired all their coaches. Their entire coaching staff was fired after that loss. I think it's definitely disappointing for Egypt and disappointing for Mohamed Salah, who I think should have been better than this game because they had a good chance hosting this tournament and 
disappointment for them that they exit so early in the Africa Cup of Nations. The next game, Madagascar took on Congo, and Madagascar won this game in penalties to continue the Cinderella run that they've been on. Madagascar, for those of you who don't know, they are the best story at this Africa Cup of Nations tournament. Before, like, this is the first ever tournament that Madagascar has qualified for. They had never qualified for the Africa Cup of Nations before this year. And they are now all the way to the quarterfinals. I know there's a lot of parallels to Iceland at the European Championships, but you know what? Maybe Madagascar, you never know. Maybe they could go even as far as a semifinal. They will play... Madagascar will play Tunisia in the quarterfinal game. Tunisia won against Ghana, and speaking of upsets, Tunisia won this game in penalties and for the first time ever have beaten Ghana at an Africa Cup of Nations. Ghana had beaten Tunisia every other time in their history, so historic win for Tunisia. And Ghana, this is the first time they've failed to make the semifinals since 2008. So credit to Tunisia. That's... We have Senegal-Benin as one of the quarterfinals, and then Madagascar-Tunisia is kind of the underdog quarterfinal a little bit. Not that Tunisia are a bad team, but I don't think many people at all would have seen this Madagascar side coming at all. But they are the best story of this tournament, and I really hope... I mean, not that I have a rooting interest, because I really don't have a rooting interest, but go Madagascar. (laughs) Anyway, next game. Algeria took on Guinea. This was kind of the only game of the entire round that felt comfortable. Algeria won this game 3-0. Riyad Mahrez had a goal and an assist in the win for Algeria. This was the one game that wasn't really close. It was, you know, pretty dominant. Algeria just clearly the superior side in this game. Not a whole lot more to say about that. And then the last game, Cote d'Ivoire took on Mali. And this game ended 1-0. Wilfred Zaha scored the winning goal in the 76th minute to send his country into the last eight. Cote d'Ivoire will play Algeria in one of the quarterfinals, and then Nigeria will play South Africa in the other quarterfinal game. So a lot to look forward to, a lot of really good matchups, and some very enticing semifinal semi-final matches that could happen certainly at this this year's Africa Cup of Nations. I'll have more on that tournament over well, yeah, basically over the next two weeks on my radio show but I wanted to give a quick recap of the round of 16. So that's pretty much all I got for that. Just my one segment left and before I get to that, my music break just the one song House of Pain, and Jump Around. Listen to CMRU.ca. By students for you. Get up, stand up, come on, throw your hands up. 
by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. I'm into my last segment of the day. And this one is just a little bit personal because with the Copa America ending, this was probably the last tournament that I get to see the Chilean Golden Generation play in. So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's basically... The golden generation for Chilean football is the team that they've had over the last decade or so. And this team has brought success that's never been seen before in Chilean football. And it's really, really special. And something that I certainly will remember for the rest of my life. And I know that their impact will be felt in Chile for decades to come in my opinion like basically in order to understand what this group of players and what they did means to Chileans I have to explain about Chile's football history because the footballing history isn't spectacular so Chile did host the World Cup in 1962 they actually finished third place at that World Cup which up until recently anyway, was probably the best achievement they've ever had. And at a World Cup, it's still the highest finish they've ever had. But sadly, Chile have not really been a consistent World Cup qualifying team. Like, they haven't made most of the World Cups. And I know that they had a pretty good team in the 70s, but that team was ruined by the military dictatorship that was running the country. And that's a different discussion. But basically, there was a generation of Chilean football that was wasted and ruined by a horrible, brutal dictatorship. One that thankfully doesn't exist anymore. Thank goodness for that. 
But Chile, thanks to that and, you know, not being the most football-dominant country ever, they had never won a major international trophy in their history. They had been to four Copa America finals and lost all of them. And then, like I said, they'd been to one semifinal at the World Cup, lost that one. But then this team came, and it all started from Marcelo Bielsa, actually, of all people. Bielsa took over the national team program, and he... I know he's not the only person to thank for this, but I feel like he's one who deserves a whole ton of thanks. Like, Bielsa, for what he did, I think... I don't know if people realize how important he was to the growth and the development of this generation. So to Marcelo Bielsa, I say thank you because he gave this team an identity. He made Chile into the high pressing, high energy, you know, score a lot of goals type of team. He did that. He established that identity And when he was coach, he got Chile to qualify in the 2010 World Cup. Or sorry, to the 2010 World Cup. My apologies. And that tournament sadly didn't go that great for Chile, but that's because their team was still really young. And a lot of the talent just wasn't there yet. And therefore, they made the round of 16, lost to Brazil 3-0. Claudio Borghi took over after Bielsa. Thankfully, his spell was very short because he was not a very good coach and was fired within nine games. And that led the way for Jorge Sampaoli to get the Chilean job. Sampaoli is similar to Bielsa in as far as his mentality and the way he coaches, but he's a lot more reserved and isn't quite as crazy. See, Bielsa is one of the great geniuses in football. He's also one of the great, you know, mad geniuses in football, if you understand what I mean. Like, he's basically, he's so smart, but he's so crazy. And, you know, that mix doesn't always work a lot of the time. But Sampaoli takes a lot of what Bielsa does and just, you know, isn't quite as crazy about it. And so the team, I think, hit its peak under Jorge Sampaoli. It made the 2014 World Cup. It beat Spain 2 to nothing in the group stages, and in the round of 16 against Brazil, the team that they had lost to, 3-0, just four years ago, they were 1-1 in extra time. And Mauricio Pinilla hit a crossbar that prevented Chile from winning. And they lost in a shootout, which was disappointing. But you know what? 2015 came, and Chile were hosting the Copa America. This was their best chance to win a major international trophy. And they did, and they did in style. This team played some outstanding football and they won they won a Copa America title and then they won again the following year although that was with a different coach Sampaoli left shortly after that which uh, Chilean Federation pisses me off sometimes but they won in 2015 and to to really understand what that means there there's a YouTube channel, used to be called Kick TV. It's now called Copa 90 US. The channel doesn't really upload anymore. It's kind of a dead channel. But one of the old videos it has was they had their presenter, their host at the time, Jimmy Conrad. He was in Chile covering the 2015 Copa America. And 
if you have the time, it's like a five minute video. Just watch that video because I think it really exemplifies what football means in Chile and what that win and what that tournament meant to Chile. So anyway, I wanted to say thank you to this generation because this was probably their last Copa America that they were at. And for everything they've done as far as inspiring young players, as far as bringing a championship and, you know, finally winning for a country that hadn't won before. I want to say thank you to Bielsa, to Jorge Sampaoli, to their coaching staffs, and to the players. To Alexis Sanchez, Eduardo Vargas, Jorge Valdivia, Marcelo Diaz, Arturo Vidal, Arles Arangis, Juan Bozizur, Gary Medel, Francisco Silva, Mauricio Isla, Claudio Bravo, Eugenio Mena, Jose Pedro Fuensalida. To, <laughs> I mean, I mean, wow, there's so many names on this, but Pablo Hernandez, I mean, Nicolas Castillo, Edson Puch, and there are others that I'm missing out, but to those guys, thank you for inspiring and thank you for bringing a golden age of Chilean football and for bringing an identity that they can live and continue to work towards. And I know they didn't make the World Cup in 2018, and it's a sad ending for them, but they will always be remembered as champions. My last song today, Montel Jordan. I want to thank you all for listening today. I'll be back next week, Africa Cup of Nations quarterfinal recap, and a semifinal recap as well. This is how we do Keys to my truck, hit the shark cause I'm faded. Honey's in the streets, say money, yo, 